Hello, you're listening to Shut Up and Watch This, episode number 83. I'm Dave. I'm Ashley. We're a couple in Austin, Texas, getting to know each other better, very gradually over the course of three years or so, <laughs> by uncovering each other's movie and pop culture blind spots, one thing at a time. One thing at a time. And there's some must-see movies. Yeah. Let's skip that. Okay. <laughs> By attempting to wing it, I lost that part, okay. so we're just going to roll. Let's roll with it. <laughs> so, actually, though, I do want to say, if you're joining us for the first time, each uh, each time one of us is in control, in the driver's seat, one of us chooses something, usually the other person's never seen, or certainly it's usually something we haven't seen together. One of us chooses, and then we watch it together, and then we talk it all over here and see how it went. So. Yeah. Most of the time we do that. Sometimes we don't, so because it's our podcast and we do what we want. We do. That's very. <laughs> now I feel like we need to do something very strange yeah. and unique. Break you, the break the rules. Can we break the fourth wall? I think. What are the I walls think, of an audio program? I, I don't know. I mean, like I guess since we're talking to people, the way that we would break the rules is by suddenly writing like a scripted hour and a half episode but that's already like what that. we're what's it say here doing no no it's okay. not what we're doing. anyway um <laughs> it was ashley's choice it was my choice it wasn't sophie's choice this time it was ashley's choice <laughs> last time i chose uh like eight or nine hours of uh polish movies and so you got to follow it up with the your choice yes so it's i all chose on you. i chose my Fair Lady, because it seems weird to me that you've never seen this movie. It's odd to me, like, I felt drawn to it when I... I actually, it came up. When did it come up? We were... It came up because of the uh, Jeremy Brett song that's in that television show, Better Things, that you've Oh, yeah, watching. I was watching Better Things, and there's a scene where um, uh, Sam goes to a sing-along after a theatrical performance... And they sing, uh, I could have, uh, sorry, uh, On the Street Where You Live, um, which is a great song. It's probably the best song in this musical. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, well, you, you haven't seen that, so let's watch it. And then I forgot, I used to watch this a lot. I don't know why I watched it like a lot. Like Gone with the Wind style kind of? Yeah. Frequency? I, I mean, like, I always was into the period pieces, like, most of my life, you know. <clears throat> so we used to, we make the jokes about me watching British period pieces. Although I don't do that as much as I used to anymore. I'm watching much more French films. Are you sad that we've already watched, like, you've already shown <laughs> me the your important British period pieces? No, I'm not that sad because I my comfort shows are different now than okay. they were. I mean, like, I used to just, like... You know, when I was sick or sad, I would just like, or it was raining outside, I would just put on Sense and Sensibility or yeah. Pride and Prejudice or, um, except Pride and Prejudice, you have to get up and change the movie all the time when it was on VHS, okay. which is a pain in the butt. Whereas Sense We live in the Blu-ray yeah. era now. Yeah. <laughs> it's all on one disc. They're real long. You can take a nap and wake up and you know what's going on anyway. For the uh, record, I would watch Pride and Prejudice anytime you want to. Yeah. So... It's, it's just like, I've, I don't know, there's so many interesting things happening with television, like better things, and um, I find myself, and since we've been stuck in our house for two years, essentially, I find myself... When will they let us out? Seeking out new... They, they made me go back to work this week. So, um, yeah, so I can't remember when I first saw this. 
I, I mean, like, I know all the songs okay. by heart, like, all of them. Like, it's weird watching it, because, like, I was, like, singing along to some of them. Did you ever have the record or the soundtrack? I don't think so. I don't so think so. So you know I just, it, like, front to back, just from watching the movie yeah. so many times. So, I mean, like... I was, it's one of those that I watch. I, I, I mean, like I saw West Side Story with my dad, so probably he showed us My Fair Lady as well. Mm-hmm. It was probably a family movie night. I have no idea. Um, but I was, I was kind of like the story. Um, it's funny to go back because I have a very different view of it now than I probably did then. Um, Ooh, yeah. We have to talk about that. <laughs> I but I, I also, difference. I mean, like, you know, I love a good, you know, classical tale. This is based on the play Pygmalion, which mm-hmm. is based on a story Pygmalion. Um, oh, that I didn't know. I just yeah, know so it's the George Bernard Shaw play. I believe that it was, uh, actually, I don't know. Anyway, I like a good adaptation. <laughs> Whether this is based on a classical story or not. So do you think not. you saw this for the first time when you were quite young, when you were growing up? Probably. You know, probably ten. Okay, so the next era. That's when. That's when they all they're they're super romantic in that time period, and they all get obsessed with musicals. You know, somewhere between the like ten and fourteen or something like that. Everybody's like. Both of my kids got obsessed with musicals. It's true. Just different kind of musical. Yeah. Well, I mean, I would have totally been into the musicals they were into if they'd been around when I was, you know. Weird edgy teen musicals? Yeah, like when Rent came along, it like blew our minds, you know, kind of yeah. thing. We were real into chess. Was this an odd musical? <laughs> um, oh, and... I, know, um, I don't even know about chess. The um, Alan Cumming... Um, cabaret? Cabaret, yeah. That we were all about that, so. So that I haven't seen. Yeah. Ever. Anything. I've just seen that one number with well, I haven't seen the, I haven't seen the Liza one. I've at never all. seen the movie yeah. with Joel Gray and Liza. Yeah. yeah. Um so and then the other thing I wanted to ask is when do you think was the last time you saw this? Like how long like how long's it been? Oh god. Um maybe twenty years. Maybe since oh. I was in high school. Okay. It's, so do you think your reaction so this is the time where you're really seeing it with different eyes? Yeah, yeah. Okay. In different years? Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, I have some thoughts which we can get to when we talk about yeah. the relationships in the film. I, so, I want to yeah. offer my defense of why I've never seen okay. My Fair Lady. Go ahead. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I've always been, I was always into classic movies from a pretty young age, but I just don't think my parents were that into musicals. Mm. I don't remember growing, I, they never showed me any of the, you know, the sound of music or any like... I can't think of any. I, I remember my mom, like, was into Camelot, but, mm. like, she never showed it to me. It was like she had the sheet music and the record album and would sometimes, I think, play some of the piano. I don't even know what songs are in it. I don't, I've never seen it. But I remember, that's all I can remember of musicals. Other than, like, you know, the kids' ones, like The Wizard of Oz or something like yeah. that. But when I became, like, a film snob or whatever, whatever <laughs> you want to call what it is that I am when I was in, a teenager... <laughs> Like, I definitely went out of my way to see Singing in the Rain, which was kind of so like good. heralded as not just one of the great musicals, but one of the greatest films of all time. Yeah. And I adore Singing in the Rain. I still love it. I've seen it many, many times. But I never have gone back. And there's this, this 50s, 60s era of like the classic, the Broadway musicals that were made into 
the, the, the movies and they're all kind of a mesh in my, like they're all this in my head. They're all a blur. I haven't seen most of them, you know, in the same way that I saw singing in the rain. I later probably not, probably maybe like around the time the kids were born, you know, 15 years ago was probably when I saw West side story for the first time. Really? Nobody showed that to me. Wow. I, I, pro- I was finally curious or reading about it, maybe in Ebert's great movies or something like that. And I was like, you know, I've never seen this. I need to see this. That's then, interesting. I thought it was like something that, because no, you know, your I oldest daughter really liked it. I shared it. it with Fiona. Yeah. And then like, actually, I think that I saw it for the first time when she was a toddler mm. or, or pretty young, because I think she's interested in it because she was walking in the room and saw bits of it from when she was really little. Interesting. So, um, so yeah, so I don't, I don't really know movie musicals that well. Yeah. I don't, I've never, I don't, and to tell the truth, for some reason in my mind, I was wrong because this movie was not what I thought it was going to be. But in my head, I think that I was maybe getting My Fair Lady mixed up with like Gigi or something like that. Because something about the, I was just picturing like, Thank there's heaven. some poster or, or, <laughs> or still or something Poor little girl. of Audrey Hepburn with the hat on and the kind of the gown that like to yeah. me symbolized what I thought the movie tone was, oh, the, which was like the race dress parading around and like fussiness. And I, it just didn't. I just, I don't know if I'd never seen any clips from it, but it was not the movie I thought it was at all. Yeah. Even though I knew, like, the the premise, you know, yeah. Henry Higgins and Eliza Doolittle and all that. But that's all I knew. So, so there. Yeah. yeah. I'm just ignorant when it comes to these musicals. And actually, you know, there's a lot I still don't think I want to see. Like, all those things like Seven Brides for Seven Brothers and Showboat and all that. We watched that, that I in choir. I, I just don't. No, like if there's a really good one, sure, because I like movies and I like a good musical, but like I've never gone out of my way to be like, let's do, I'm going to see all the musicals. Well, like if the patriarchy is a little bit turned up in this film, which it definitely is, like Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, it's like turned up to 11. (laughs) And I just, I just threw that out as an example. Oh, and then the other experience I have with musicals is, you know, some, like, I remember seeing, like, somebody, I don't know where, were we visiting my aunt in Colorado or something? I remember seeing, like, a really not very good community theater version of Oklahoma. So I don't... Well, I think everyone's probably seen a not very good version of Oklahoma. And then the ones that they do in high schools, you know, like, in high school theater. Yeah. So there you go. Although we saw the Austin, that Austin school do yeah. uh, West Side Story a few years ago. What is it, McCallum or what's the name of the? the yeah, McCallum. McCallum. Yeah. Hi. Shout that out was to really good. shout out to your production of West Side they Story. Had beautiful sets too. Circa twenty eighteen or nineteen, yeah. whenever that was. Great costuming, great cast. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so it was interesting when I was thinking about this film. Um, just like in my thought processes, this really doesn't have much to do with anything. But like when I was watching Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, which does a lot of sort of parodies of songs from different genres, including Broadway, mm-hmm. um, because the story is is that she's a theater girl who doesn't know she's a theater girl, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I couldn't think of a song that um, that they did on that show that really reminded me of anything from My Fair Lady, which actually kind of surprised me. So I don't know if the 
if the if the people were fans or not fans of this <laughs> musical because they well, did they, a whole like send up of the like Oklahoma showboat yeah you kind of musical they can't do everything though. yeah yeah I know <laughs> well when you have four seasons you can do a lot though you yeah. know so anyway um so this movie stars Audrey Hepburn as Eliza Doolittle yes and uh, Rex Harrison as Professor Henry Higgins. He played this role on Broadway before it was made into a musical. So how 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 much before? When was the musical that he 56. was? Fifty six. Oh, okay, so yeah. almost ten years before, eight years before. This yeah. is a nineteen sixty four well, I mean, release. Yeah, but I mean, like, probably it took two years to make this film. So you know, was it one of those things where it ran for years with him? Playing yeah, I think it, it ran okay. for years with him as the star, and then Julie Andrews was the originating. Eliza. I would have loved to see that. I know. I know. So they decided not to cast Julie Andrews because she wasn't a name yet. Yeah. Um, Which, was she closer to the age? that Eliza, Eliza's supposed to be 21, I read. I, I, I was wondering I if think Julie so. Andrews I don't was yet, rem- a little younger. I, think, I don't remember how old I mean, Audrey Andrews Hepburn's is. not old, but she's not no. 21. No. I think... Um, but they didn't think that Julie Andrews could carry a, no. f- a film like that, you know. Oh. So, because like it was like a big expensive deal. Like they spent. Well, they didn't think she could carry the film, or that nobody would finance it with an unknown. And it's an unknown kind of thing. Yeah. Because her first big movie role was Mary Poppins, which came out the same year. Oh. So the interesting. Interesting. Thi- if this had gone yeah. to production a year later, I wonder if they would cast so the, her. The T on this is that. Um, um, Julie Andrews would have been able to sing. She was singing on Broadway. Uh, Audrey Hepburn did not have the pipes to sing, so she was dubbed by... Um, Marty... Nixon. Marty, Marty Nixon. Nixon. Nah, wait, Marty Nixon. Nixon. Not Marty Noxon. Not Marty Noxon. Who's a screenwriter He's on screen- Buffy the Vampire right. Slayer. <laughs> um, so, God, we're geeks. Who also did Natalie Wood's voice on West Side Story. Oh... That's and, interesting. Yeah, and um, did she? Do you know much about her? Did she ever appear on the screen anything, or was she strictly like a she dub mostly vocal? did dubbing, and she worked at one of the California colleges teaching singing lessons okay. and stuff like that. She her last film that she did is she did the singing voice for uh, Grandmother Fa on Mulan. Oh wow! Yeah. So um, that I know was that's a, one of a, your favorites. Too. I love that movie. Yeah, um, I love fa- the songs on that movie. Your favorite Disney yeah. movie, Disney movie. Well, I don't know right? if it's my favorite. It probably. Oh is. well, you talk well, about it more than you talk I, about I the other ones. Well, it's anyway. You should have had us do that on this <laughs> podcast because I had never seen that until. Okay, we... well, we can win. Maybe we can do it on the. I don't. I just like. I hate always being the one that's like I'm doing the popular films and Dave's doing the art films, but here we are. <laughs> We each contribute something vital and unique. That's right. I, I, you know. I'm the acerbic curmudgeon to your cockney. No, that's. I, I, I mean, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I I think that Julie Anders would have brought a very different energy to this film, like. Audrey Hepburn always has this sort of like I can hear Julie Andrews' voice in my head. Yeah, too. she's the, a great singer. I, the far sort of this far away, separate, kind of dreamy like look. Whereas I think that um, Julie Andrews would have had a more assertive Eliza than Audrey Hepburn did. 
you know. Well, I was just about to say, it's not just a question of the singing voice. It's a question of how would she have played the part? Like, yeah. would she have been stronger in the... And I kind of wonder if the chemistry between her and Henry Higgins would have been different. I think probably it would be. but And yet, this movie is like renowned as a classic and it won eight Academy Awards. And it was like the, one of the most expensive films of its type of the time. But interestingly, Julie Andrews won for my... Won the acting award for my for um, Mary Poppins. I'm sure somebody was kicking themselves. Somewhere. Yeah, against Audrey Hepburn's. You know, um, I like Audrey Hepburn yeah. in the movie. I, I don't want to. Well, I love Audrey Hepburn. I mean, like, I'm not. I just I think it's it's a very different energy. Like, it's the difference between like Mary Tyler Moore and. I don't know. Liza Minnelli? <laughs> no. Liza Minnelli is not the I same. I don't know inter- where you're going with Mary No, I Tyler think Julie Moore. Andrews is very much sort of like a. You know, uh, you know, you know, Julie Andrews, she's, you know, a spoonful of sugar kind of. Yes. You, you know, you can't see the fact that Ashley's pumping her arm in the <laughs> air. Her, you yeah. know, she's got a little bit of the Mary Martin, <clears throat> yeah. to quote another. Oh, Mary Martin, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Whereas, you know, Audrey Hepburn, although she is like incredibly funny in things, I don't know, she has a, a different sort of more introverted style to her, I guess, in my view. Yeah, what interesting casting it is to yeah. have her play what a what a loudmouth uh yeah. <laughs> like street flower <laughs> urchin she is in the beginning. Like how do you even well, think of her casting physical her? comedy is quite good. I mean like I have nothing to complain about with her her, her yeah. physicality in this. I think it provides the um one thing that I think is interesting is how for a movie musical, there's not many, like, actual, like, choreographed dancing sequences, which is unusual for, I think, for for films of that. It's, it's like they have, like, boisterous singing songs, but there's not a whole lot of, like, people tap dancing or, no. you know. Well, I'm picturing um, that number early, and you'll have, you, the expert okay. of the songs, will have to tell me. The one that's in the Covent Garden market mm-hmm. w- with her in it, where yeah. she's like jumping up on the the barrow, and then they're like pivoting it, so she, you know, like a seesaw. And Wouldn't it be loverly? It's the I Wish song. Yes, Wouldn't it be loverly? I thought that was really well staged, and yeah. I liked all the activity of all the the sales, all the you know the market people, all the cabbage people, <laughs> all the cabbage people. <laughs> yeah. We've nicknamed uh, that that uh, part of Covent Garden the Cabbage Corridor <laughs> the because, cabbage like, corridor. everywhere in every shot, there's bins of cabbages. Of cabbage everywhere. I don't know that they sell much else, and but in My Fair Lady, it's all cabbages. So I realize we haven't done a short synopsis of the film. So, um, short synopsis of the film: Henry Higgins is a professor of I would call it linguistics. He calls it phonetics. Yes, um, the science of phonetics. <laughs> Um, he studies languages and his specialty is in English language. Um, so he walks around like writing down people's accents in some like code that he knows, stenography yeah. code or something like that. Um, and he meets Eliza, who is a flower girl, um, who has a terrible, terrible Cockney accent. Like, it's 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 Dick Van Dyke level. Okay, I yeah. was wondering if you were going <laughs> to... It's, I mean, to compare other, you know. 
So Dick Van Dyke's Cockney accent and Mary Tyler Moore. Mary, Mary, Mary Tyler Poppins. Moore. Do you get that, people? That was yeah. a Freudian slip that had to do with the Dick Van Dyke show yeah. in which Mary Tyler Moore yeah. starred as Laura Petrie. Yeah. Dick Van Dyke's accent in Mary Poppins. That's hands down the worst Cockney accent <laughs> ever. I don't think she's that bad, but it's getting close to that. Yeah. It's not that bad. So, um... me. She hears him brag to... Colonel Pickens? What is his name? Pickering. Colonel Pickering. Um, Professor Higgins brags to to Colonel Pickering that um, in a month he could, uh, or in six months, he could have her speaking in a way well enough that she could get a job in a florist shop. And pass her off as a duchess, I think he says, Yeah, he did that. So, um, and on his way out, he gives Eliza some, like, a handful of pocket change or something like that, which is, like, nothing to him, but is really meaningful to her. So she shows up at his house, uh, like, the next day, asking for lessons in English. She wants to take him up on yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So she is. She's, she wants to be safe and comfortable and have a better life than what she's able to provide and for, for her. for her, a better life is just working in a flower shop. Yeah. So um, he, you know, takes some ego stroking, but he agrees to... Um, take her on as a boarder and train her for six months. And he makes a bet with Colonel Pickering that he can pass her off as a duchess. And Pickering is going to finance the whole thing. Yeah. If, if he passes it off, he's, he'll buy the clothes and yeah. all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Room and board. Well, meanwhile, there's this weird thing where um, Professor Higgins and Colonel Pickering meet on the street in Covent Garden <laughs> And, like, they've been looking for each other. Yeah, they meet accidentally, and it turns out that Colonel Pickering has traveled from India, I think. He, he's an expert in Indian dialects, is his expertise. To seek out another fanatics expert, and he's come to London to find yeah. uh, Henry Higgins. Yeah. And they happen to run in, into each other in Covent Garden, <laughs> in Covent Garden. after the opera <laughs> that one night. So... And then, like, and then he has Colonel Pickering move in with him, which is oh, another weird thing. So there's a subtext here. Yeah. And that's all I'm going to say. But, <laughs> it's but, not all uh, we're going to say. But while, while they are schooling uh, Eliza Doolittle in the finer ways of, of speaking and uh, comportment or whatever, I don't even know yeah. if that's the right word. Um, yeah, they, those two are just living together. Oh, you know, I didn't even think about that. But he <clears throat> loves to um, shop for Eliza. Colonel Pickering, Pickering? loves... They don't even take Eliza sometimes. <laughs> I don't know. I, I really like Colonel Pickering. I know. Yeah. I, I like. I know that actor because I think. I think, and I meant to look this up. His um, his name's Wilfred Hyde White, and I'm pretty sure he has a bit character part in The Third Man, which is like one mm. of my top ten movies of all time. Okay. And uh, so I need to look that up. I'm pretty sure it's him. Interesting. Uh, Anyway, I like him. He's 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 a good foil. He's he's somewhat he's 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 a lot nicer, I would say. Somewhat nicer. Yeah. <laughs> Henry Higgins is kind of a blowhard, kind of like I want to all up in his his own ego about himself and I wanted to <laughs> I wanted to ask what you how you think we're supposed to react to Rex Harrison's uh, Henry Higgins, because I feel like 
for audiences of the time or, or even what their intention is to, is to go for that kind of, uh, lovable curmudgeon or something yeah. like, like he's, Oh, you know, he, let him, t- he just goes off, you know, he, yeah. he, he is the way he is. And he, but you know, he's basically harmless and he's just sort of a crank, cr- a little bit cranky and stuff like that, but, but delightful nonetheless. He and, has some you know. terrible opinions though. But, like genuinely um, bad opinions. I I I do I I I loved Rex Harrison's performance, but I don't really like that him as I don't know, as a person it's I it was I think he's a bit of, let me just say, I think he's a bit of an asshole. Yeah, he's and a bit of an asshole. <laughs> maybe I'm reading it in in somehow through the sensibility of twenty twenty two, but I mean, because that's where I am. Yeah. But is he supposed to be as much of a jerk as I'm taking him to be? That's what I'm not sure about. Or is it just like, oh, ha ha, Rex Harrison is frightfully wonderful. And, you know, what do you think? I don't know. Too, I mean, I think it, it is. I mean, like, because this is what. 1964 is almost 60 years ago now. <laughs> so, I mean, like, I think there's definitely some of that aging it like I think if we updated this that we could make him like way into himself we could give him some terrible opinions and he wouldn't be quite so classist and and completely oblivious to the struggles of people and um thinking that it's just language that separates the classes and like he just has a bunch of really bad ideas and also he treats people very badly except for Colonel Pickering <laughs> well, he, I mean, he, he especially treats Eliza, treats Eliza he treats very Eliza bad. Absolutely terribly. Yeah. And like, actually, uh, so I assume that he's supposed, like, we're supposed to read him as being too harsh on her yeah. and being kind of a jerk because one of the turning points of the film towards the end, you know, the last act yeah. is is when she's when she leaves. Mm. Because, like, he has no concern whatsoever for her welfare or her future after they've pulled this whole thing off. Yeah. And doesn't even seem to think of her as a human being who needs to know what's next. And it's just like, we pulled this off. We did it. We did it. You did it. Whatever that (laughs) song is. Um, that, that's it. That's yeah. the whole song. I, I was gonna say, you, it's funny. You you say you can, you know, every single song. I could probably name like three songs yeah. in this movie at this point. That's one of them, though. Yes. Oh, and trivia or not yeah. trivia, but the game is uh, in this episode is which song do you think is stuck in my head today, inexplicably from this movie? Is it? There's um, no way you would be able to guess. It's pretty random. Okay, so it's not. It's not the one we discussed as being an earworm, then. No, it's a different earworm. Okay. So. Is it the poor Professor Higgins one? That one's been stuck in my head all day. No, I don't even know, remember okay, which one that, that was. What is it? Um, it's the other one that her father Alfred does. Oh. With the little bit. What is it? It. That's the one. The I'm little talking, bit. That's the one I thought we were talking about. No, I thought you were talking about the church on time. No, no, no. I So the first time we discussed this, I said, you said, that one's quite an earworm, the, the little bit of one. And I said, just wait. 
Yeah, I thought that. So that's why I thought you were talking about no, getting no, into no. the church I was, on time. Uh, so yeah, I was thinking that it was it was just a little bit. Oh, that was, is absolutely. Yeah. It's been stuck. Like yeah. I don't know why I was work at work today, and it was start probably because I was like starting to think. About I actually this. prefer that one to the to get me to the church on time. Yeah, which but I get stuck. I in challenge my head. you to get it out of your head because now I'm, I'm I can just hear <laughs> with a little bit. So I mean, like the there bit. is this whole B story with Eliza's dad that like. Tell me how much you love that B story. I do not enjoy the B story at all. Like, I don't understand why we need to have it. I mean, like, I mean, like, I understand in a theatrical structure sort of way why they include that. He's the comedic relief, although the whole musical is a comedy. So I don't know that we need comedic relief. It's not like half of it is tragedy and the rest of it is, you know, Rosencrantz and Gildenstern or whatever. Has our sense of humor changed by 2022? (laughs) Because... One of the funny, hilarious scenes is Alfred going over to Henry Higgins' house and basically selling his daughter, thinking that this is for <laughs> nefarious reasons and yeah. that he he's having an affair with his daughter, and uh, he basically sells her for five pounds. Yeah, like well, I, well, Henry Higgins offers him t- ten, and he refuses to take it. He only no, wants he's a man the of five. Honor. He, he just, only wants the fiver. So. <laughs> So uh, that's a funny scene. Well, I mean, the other interesting thing, I think they, I guess it kind of, the way that it comes together in the end is so, um, Eliza's dad has some odd thoughts about um, the deserving and the undeserving poor. And um, so Henry Higgins, as a joke, like writes to this American who's been looking for someone to talk about ethics, ethics or something like that over in America or something. Um, so Henry Higgins, as a joke, provides Eliza's dad's name to this guy, which, um, so this guy, like, leaves Eliza's dad, like, 4,000 pounds a year, which is a lot. Yeah, he sets him up for life. (laughs) Um, so, like, he's forced to, um, join the middle class and get married to his, uh, longtime live-in girlfriend, um. Who is okay, Eliza's I, stepmother. I did appreciate. The, <laughs> I did appreciate on some level the fact that this throw what I thought was a throwaway line yeah. about oh just give him Mister Doodlittle's name. Yeah, like I didn't think that was ever going to come up again. I had yeah. no idea that was like a major plot point. Yeah, that this guy has left money because he he says oh I'm not going to give a lecture. Give him this guy's name. Well, I mean, I think the the point that they're trying to make, which is that Eliza's dad is a jerk regardless of whether he has money or not. <laughs> And he's a complainer. Yeah, and he complains about everything. He complains whether he has no money or he... And he's a drunk. And he's a drunk. (laughs) Because isn't that a a lovely, hilarious scene with him getting completely smashed the night before his wedding? Yeah. (laughs) And singing the song that you can't stand. Girls, come and kiss me. (laughs) Oh, those delightful drunks. I don't think that we find alcoholics as humorous now as as, uh, they seem to get a big kick out of that in the 50s and 60s. Yeah. Judging from most sitcoms and Although uh, I did like in in the you know with a little bit of luck song the like sort of tiny drunk tap dancing he does when he sings the with a little bit and he does this little tiny tap dance. I kind of like that number. Yeah, it's I think this, it's a cute. The song yeah. is stuck in my head, but yeah. <laughs> I liked the number. I liked Yeah, the, it was pretty funny. Yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, so overall <laughs> I liked the movie. Yeah, I it, it surprised me. It wasn't what, and I'm not wrapping this up yet or yeah. anything. But I wanted to detour. But I just wanted to say, like, I thought 
great, wonderful, witty dialogue, wonderful performances by Audrey Hepburn and Rex Harrison and all the supporting cast. Gladys Cooper, Jeremy mm-hmm. Brett. We need to talk about that at some point. Yeah. Um, but for me, and maybe this is sacrilegious or wrong or something, but like I didn't think the music was the strongest thing about this movie. Inter- yeah, I would say. And I think partly that's because... I don't know this where you can pull out your yeah. German word or whatever. I don't really know this kind of musical theater, but I looked at you about 20, 15 or 20 minutes in, in one of the Rex Harrison numbers. And I was like, does he ever sing anything or does he just kind of talk sing, talk sing no. like this? And I was, and, and I was just baffled by what is this odd talk singing kind of thing? And I was like, Nowadays, when you have musicals, and, and a lot of the musicals I have seen, like, there are actual melodies. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, what you would think of as songs. But I was trying to think of, like, if you had somebody, like, covering this on a, like, a standard or something. Like, yeah. a, doing an ad, a song, a record of songs from Lerner and Lowe musicals or something like that. Like, how would you even, like, is there even a song there? And so, and particularly I have this issue with... Rex Harrison. And I like Rex Harrison, but I had trouble wrapping my ears and my head around what is the, I just don't know this genre of musical theater where yeah. you're kind of like talking through it in a weird, exaggerated way, but it's, it is, it is verse and it's lyrics. So it sometimes it feels more like verse poetry or I don't yeah, know. It's, it, it is it very, kind of put me off a little bit. It is bit. very rhythmic. It's interesting to see him do it too, because like, you can tell he's been doing it for a while because mm-hmm. the rhythm works, and like sometimes he has a bit of 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 some notes in there, but not very much. Yeah, it's very interesting. Every once in a while, there would be a line that has a has a a melody to it. Well, I mean, it's kind of like, I mean, like, I mean, I don't know. There are parts of Hamilton that are a little bit like that okay. sometimes too. Yeah. You know. Oh yeah. I mean, like, because I mean, like, a lot of it is is rap or straight yeah. up singing, but I think there is a little bit of more of this sort of rhythmic talking or yeah. rhythmic oh, speak yeah. singing or something I, I, like that. I agree. It's um, just I know it's some. It's more a question. I assume it's more a question of my ignorance because I don't. Yeah. But I I just was completely unfamiliar, really. With well, this, I can't think I, of another musical, kind of musical that uses it to the extent that this one does. Well, I mean, like every other, song that he's in Doctor Doolittle. Does he do the same? Yeah, thing Yeah, I that? guess he does that in in Doctor Doolittle. So by the way, I think I was also getting that mixed up with this because I was waiting for him to be wearing a giant. Top hat, and you wanted never, to push me, pull yeah, you. I wanted to push me, pull you. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure I saw that at some point. Uh, yeah, it's. I I think particularly the Henry Higgins songs are not that that great. You know, I think he's well. His if acting you, if scenes you think are of more them as songs, or yeah. what you think of as a songs. I mean. Again, it's, it's rhythmic exposition. It has to do with <laughs> your expectations and whether you're getting what you think you're going to get. And I didn't know that I was going to get that. So then I was very confused and surprised because I felt like, is this what a musical was back then? Because there weren't, it didn't seem to me that there were very many song songs. Yeah. That, you know, like I said, that might be covered by dozens of people from Ella Fitzgerald to whomever yeah. over the years that's kind of treated like, like you get with a Singing in the Rain or something where those are all songs, yeah. you know, from the songbook 
the great American songbook. Um, and, and then like the big theatrical musical numbers, like the, all the stuff with the barrows and the market and all that, those all have this kind of like, I don't know. I want to say like cabaret kind of field. And I don't mean cabaret, like the musical, I mean this kind of like very theatrical, exaggerated, like showstopper, throw everything in the kitchen sink and kind of just everybody chorus and I don't know. (laughs) So there you go. Yeah. But to me, um, and I'm not going to be able to find it, but, um, the the songs the my two favorite songs and actually two of the one, only ones that I can remember are um, I could have danced all night yeah and uh, the Jeremy Brett one that you like so much uh, on the street where you live yeah so talk to me about the music so those songs. I want to say like I mean like this is just a theory of mine is that so Rex Harrison was in the film adaptation of Pygmalion. <laughs> And then he, he put- was on the Broadway show of My Fair Lady. And then, so I think he's like, it's like a Colin Firth kind of thing. Like, Colin mm-hmm. Firth played Mr. Darcy, and he's now always he's always Mr. Darcy. He's Mr. always Dar- going to be Mr. Darcy. So so Rex Harrison played Henry Higgins. And I love Rex Harrison. I, I will watch him in anything. He's just one of those well, guys that I love. What else do you like him in? What have, I, I've never seen him in anything other than probably Dr. Doolittle. He's in that weird Mankiewicz film. Is it Unfaithfully Years or something? Yeah, where he plays a conductor. It's a similar role. Is that a Mankiewicz movie? I think it's a Mankiewicz okay. film. Joe Mankiewicz. Yeah, I've never seen it. Okay. I swear I showed it to you. I showed it to you. Mm, and it has uh, Linda Darnell in it. I probably fell asleep. Okay. Well, we should watch it and do it for the podcast because it's awesome. Okay. It's... I know you... He like... Okay, I don't want to spoil it, but Let's not anyway. talk about that now. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that it was just like they wanted his personality. It had to be Rex Harrison and then the rest of the songs are built around, like, a woman who can sing the fuck out of a song. Mm-hmm. You know, because, like, I mean, like, these songs go up and down. They're, like, full-range things. Um, the Rain in Spain is, like, really super high. You know, um, I, so as I could have danced all night. They require a lot of range for someone. So, I mean, I think you have a combination of... We have this guy who we need the personality, and then we have these these other songs that we wrote for this, you know, for this like fantastic female singer, you know, um, which is why Julie Andrews did the, did it on Broadway because mm-hmm. she has that incredible voice that she has. So, um, so I think it really is a show meant to showcase a. F- the female star, which is mm-hmm. cool, I think, you know, because I don't think that there was a lot of that, you know. Um, maybe that Carol... Oh, she's the focal point. Yeah. It's called My Fair Lady, yeah. you know. <laughs> well, I mean, like, I guess, um, what's the Carol Channing musical that I can't think of that Barbara Streisand did the... Anyway. Uh... <laughs> anyway, somebody will somebody I know shouting, what you're talking about, but shouting I, the it, correct answer it, at the, at exactly, the thing right because now. Because it's going to come to me as soon as we stop recording, because I know exactly what but, you're talking about. But yeah, I, so I have always loved I Could Have Danced All Night. I think it's a fantastic song. Um, uh, the Street Where You Live is an amazing song that, um, and then the rest of them kind of get, you know, stuck out. 
you know, they're they're fine. <laughs> There's a few like big chorus numbers that everybody sings. I think would it, wouldn't it be loverly is a nice song, and I get that stuck in my head sometimes too. Uh, it's so, gone. I'll have to watch it again because I yeah. can't bring I can't call it back to mind. But um, yeah, in general, like it's not like musically, it's not like terribly strong. But I think overall, it's the story is enjoyable. So. You know, maybe that yeah, isn't no, as important. Yeah, no, I mean, I loved it as a movie and as the and as a comedy. Yeah. And it's so witty and uh, everybody's so good. I mean, you could just, like, it doesn't feel like it's three hours long. You just feel no. like you could watch these people in their little drawing rooms and, <laughs> you know, hang out with Henry Higgins and Pickering and, and uh, Eliza for hours. I mean, you know, just listen to them banter and rub up against each other. Yeah. Kind of it's, Yeah. But for me, yeah, the music wasn't like the, wasn't the strongest thing at yeah. all. I mean, it's beautiful to look at. It's a wonderful yeah. Technicolor film with uh, oh, the sets. The are great. sets, it's all done. <laughs> it on actually sound looks stages. like Covent Garden. Actually, like they've built Covent Garden <laughs> on a on a soundstage, and they built the the what's the Ascot uh, oh, racetrack. Oh, the Ascot is cool. Like, yeah, I, I guess they had horses racing in the soundstage because that's clearly not an exterior shot. Um, and the costume design, yeah. we got to see some of those costumes when we went out uh, to Warner, Warner Brothers. Brothers Studio. Um, a few months ago. If, I wonder if they shot in that Did big... they have the ascot dress or... They did. I didn't get and a picture of And they had the flower it. girl dress and mm-hmm. Henry Higgins, uh, his usual... His tweed His suit. tweed with his little flower. Yeah. Yeah. The costume from the, from the movie. So I love the ascot scene. That's like probably my favorite scene in the... It's so visually fascinating. Like all the women are dressed in white... And all black and white, but mostly white dresses with some black trim, and all the men are dressed in gray. That is really interestingly yeah. directed by George. We didn't haven't mentioned George, yeah, George Cukor at all. But, yeah. In, but what you're saying, it's not only that, but it's the 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 framing and the shots and the moving camera and like weird close ups of people. And actually, I had to think about this. I was like. This kind of reminds me of that scene at the spa in Fellini's Eight and a Half. And I was mm. like, which actually had already happened. So I was like, who knows? Maybe Cukor is bringing like, the faces and the people I moving around. I can see that because there's that. It's they have, they're moving around as if they're having like coming in and out of conversations. Uh-huh. But it's highly choreographed so they don't run into each other at all. So, yeah. I mean, and they're, and it's rhythmic along with the sort of song that they're So in sit- Fellini, it has, they're playing the Ride of the Valkyries. Yeah. While, when you, when you see the, all the people like walking slowly yeah. through the spot, it's all, of course it's Fellini and he casts for bizarre faces and all that. <laughs> so you have all these people and old ladies walking fast and people in suits and stuff. And it just kind of reminded me of that a little bit, but without the weird faces so much. <laughs> That's a Fellini thing. But, so... It's, it's, yeah, it's interesting how, like, stylistically, um, it's done. And, like, so they, they brought Eliza to the Ascot, the opening day of the Ascot races, um, as sort of her first foray into, uh, high society. So she only knows, like, six phrases or something in, in her... They tell her she has to only talk about the weather or what, what is the other subject? Uh. Limit your... Your health and the weather, I think. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> all she's prepared to talk about um 
And, you know, it, it goes predictably badly, which is, uh, she has a lovely accent, but she's talk she's telling this story about um, how her um, grandmother or aunt or something was very ill, and her father gave her gin, and um, she bit off the end of a spoon after he was I pouring gin down her throat. because she's talking about, like... <laughs> skid row kinds of things but yeah. in her refined accent <laughs> yeah. it's really it's such a great contrast well and she she attracts the attention of uh a young man named freddie um who is like a uh, is the son of a friend of henry's mother freddie ansford hall hill ansford hill yeah ansford hill <laughs> who i was flabbergasted and astounded to see was jeremy brett who yeah. I knew as uh, Sherlock Holmes in the 80s and 90s on PBS in the, the Granada Television's adaptation of all the original Sherlock Holmes stories. So he must have been in his 60s when that came out. Yeah. And like I was like, my God, that's Jeremy Brett. I didn't know his <laughs> career went back that far. I saw Jeremy Brett on the stage when I was in London uh, as Sherlock Holmes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, you know, after the television series, they did a some sort of play that I made my mom take me to the first time I went to London because I was like, it's Jeremy Pratt doing Sherlock Holmes on stage. Well, and it's interesting because he's kind of like a throwaway character. Like, he's what there is, to provide an to me about option what for is the Eliza, point? I guess. Tell me why is this character in the movie? Explain. Uh, well, he's pretty. <laughs> okay, but it, it... I think he's there to give Eliza an option other than to stay with Henry Higgins. Well, up until the very end, she's like she's she says she's going to marry him towards the end. Yeah, and su- and support. but I don't know if she's actually talked to him about that or if that's just like stuff she's saying to. Well, apparently he writes her sheets and sheets. He writes her lots of letters and, and stuff he's like a that. stalker. He's like standing outside the house all the yeah. time, singing that oh singing amazing that song. song, which it is a beautiful, beautiful song. And, and I agree. And he didn't sing that. It was also I was dubbed. really sad to learn that because, first of all, here's my the, here's the stages of Jeremy Brett. Is I was delighted and surprised and shocked to learn that it was Jeremy Brett in that part. And then my next surprise was, oh my God, what a beautiful singing voice. Yeah. I had no idea he was started in musical theater and had that wonderful voice. And it was today when I was reading a Wikipedia article of yeah. all things where I was like, Oh, he was dubbed by Bill Shirley. And maybe yeah. that's something that wasn't that well known. Because yeah. it sounds like everybody knows that. I think they just, like, it, that just came out recently or something like that. That's what it sounded like. It sounds like they've that it's never really been a secret that uh, um, Audrey Hepburn was dubbed. But that, I don't know that people realize Jeremy Brett was dubbed too. Yeah. It's a beautiful song. And it's so beautifully directed. I just, and it's since, like... How beautiful. I mean, like, he sings that song twice. There's a reprise of it. And it's shot outside. He's in, like, in the, I don't know, medium, close-up, long shot kind of thing. And the in the foreground is is um, are some flowers. Yeah, beautiful outside hydrangeas, the, I believe. Uh, hydrangeas, whatever. Yeah. I don't know my flowers, yeah. but they're in a soft focus. Yeah. So it gives like that depth of field, and he's he's just past that, framed by the flowers and by the the gate in front of the house, and 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 it's a really very a very static um, mm. placement. So it's like I I could just feel George Cukor like this is so good. This man is so <laughs> handsome. This song is so beautiful. All we need to do is frame him between these flowers, and he moves around a little bit yeah. between that. But it's basically 
kind of shot like that. Even when you change shots, you've got him with the soft focus and the flower. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful yeah. scene. Well, I so I love that song. I think it is just so relatable for like, I mean, like when when you're just falling in love with someone and you just get a charge from knowing that they were just there or you know, I mean, like, and it's funny because like, like you feel close to them yeah. because you're close in proximity to where they are. It's funny, you know, because, like, relatively recently I was in that that sort of hazy phase of, of our relationship. And, you know, like, this song would come into my mind along with, like, you know, um, um, Blue Skies by Ella Fitzgerald. And, not you know, with a little bit of luck? No, <laughs> not so much. <laughs> Wait, which song by Ella Fitzgerald? Blue Skies, smiling oh. Okay. Nothing but blue skies. I mean, it's a, I think it's a classic, yeah. but the one I know is an Ella Fitzgerald version. But anyway, so Good I just deal. I just think that that's such a and like I I completely understand why they used it in that Better Things episode because it is just such a great sort of song. And then they they used it to like show off this guy's voice, which of course it's it's a fantastic song for a male tenor. It's beautiful. So. Um, I'm so glad that you were watching that the other day. That yeah. is a beautiful scene. And yeah. that man, what a voice. Yeah. Uh, the scene from Better Things. And then it got you, it reminded you of this movie. No. I don't know if this had ever come up in our conversations about things that you might choose to show. No. On the podcast. Well, so, I mean, I, when I think about what I liked about it, I mean, like, we could get deep into my psychology about how I've always been vaguely attracted to older men and... And like, <laughs> I say, I don't know if that's an appropriate like, thing to talk about. Well, I mean, but like, also, like, is that just because I've been brainwashed by our society that tells us that old men, older men, not old men, <laughs> older men, older men are more desirable, or 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 if it's like some sort of weird patriarchy thing, or like, is it? I don't know. I, I appreciate... Do you need a sarcastic I mentor in your I life? I appreciate a sarc... I mean, like, I don't want anyone to treat me the way that Henry Higgins did, but I appreciate his sort of curmudgeonliness and his confidence and um, his willingness to share his knowledge, you know? So there are some some positive aspects there. But so, I mean, think to yourself, he did drop everything <laughs> yeah. to, to take her on as his pupil, right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, like, that's the funny thing. I was yeah. like, what a gentleman of leisure that you can yeah. just, like, throw everything aside. This whatever, is what I'm doing for six the months. The <laughs> science of phonetics and, like, I am now teaching this woman to speak. Yeah. So, but, I mean, like, so, I, I mean, like, I don't do a lot of thinking about it, but, like, you know, our society is a little obsessed right now with, like, age differences and what age differences are appropriate. And, and like, to me, it has a lot to do with the power balance and the time of life that people are in. So, like, if you're, if you're 34 and you meet someone who's 50... That's a 16-year age difference. But to me, that's not a big deal because a 34-year-old person is an adult who knows their life and knows their thoughts about things. And whereas, like, if you've got a similar, like, if you're talking about, like, an 18-year-old and a 
two-year-old, that's very different to me. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's actually a smaller age difference, but that's a different time of life. A 32-year-old mm-hmm. is in a very different place in their life than an 18-year-old would be. Mm-hmm. So, like, in this situation, we have an age difference where Eliza is 21 and virtually powerless in the society that she's living in. I think we, Henry is supposed to be in his 40s, maybe, yeah, or but something. He, I but mean, Rex Harrison is older. He's got to be <laughs> yeah. in his late 50s or yeah. something. I don't even I know. Mean, but I think Henry Higgins... I mean, Henry Higgins is supposed to be established. He's supposed to have been around long enough to have a pupil who's working for the circuits of Europe, you know. Um, and he's a bachelor. Yeah, and he's a bachelor. So... I mean, I think the age difference is supposed to be 20-ish years, you know, but like to me, the thing that's disturbing is the power imbalance here, whereas Eliza has very little power control in her life. And like, she's come to Henry Higgins in order to gain some of that power and control. Um, And so she's in a very vulnerable position. And he's in the power to either make her or discard her without a second thought, just like that. Yeah, and she's, it's funny, she seems very aware of that. He seems to think that it's like a frivolous joke. Like, he doesn't realize that he, how much power he exerts in the situation. I don't really... Or not consciously, I guess. I don't really think he thinks of her as a person. Yeah. Until quite late in their story. Yeah, that's true. Almost the She's very like end where he realizes that he misses her and that yeah. he needs her and that he's come to depend on her and that he likes her face yes. and all of that. And her, it's like he spends so much of the time, yeah, thinking of it as a joke, thinking of it, thinking of her almost like an object, something that can be molded, yeah, shaped, molded, <laughs> but <laughs> like... When she realizes that she doesn't know what her prospects are next, what, where do you go from here? She can't go. And they give us the scenes of her yeah. trying to go back to Covent Garden and yeah. not fitting in there anymore. And, like, what can she do with being a lady of refinement without any means of her own other than basically finding a Freddy to marry her? Yeah. Like, she, I think she's too refined to work in a flower shop now, right? Yeah. I mean, she's, like, dressed like a duchess or something. Well, I think she has she, that scene where she first confronts Henry Higgins, where she throw after the ball, she throws his slippers at him, and she's yes. like, what have you made me? What have, What am I fit for now? You know, I'm... And he doesn't get it at <laughs> no, all. He's I know. like, why did you throw your slippers at me? What has yeah. come over you, you hussy? Yeah. <laughs> like, how many different... What are all... Of, can you catalog the insults that he calls her in this movie? It's always Wash like, cabbage leaf. Yeah, there's so many, so yeah. many, so many good ones, so many bad, really yeah. bad ones. Uh, it's uh, it, it all begins to feel a bit uh, like if it weren't such a wonderful light comedy with these actors, it's all quite a bit toxic. You yeah, know? it's pretty toxic. But what a lovely film! So <laughs> about I mean, a toxic relationship. And we talked. We mentioned this. I think you mentioned this while we were watching it. But like, what is their relationship? Is it romantic? I mean, like, we don't have any... Or is it, like, companionate? Like, he he likes what she brings to the... I mean, like, are they... Is it is it an asexual relationship? Are they, you know... I don't... <laughs> I looked at you at the end of the movie because he realizes that he misses her 
and she walks in the door at the end and then it sort of fades out like they're reunited and then i was like, like he's like where are my slippers yeah, yeah and then i looked at you i was like what is the implication here or is, is this are they together now or is this a romantic relationship and i don't think it's supposed to be that yeah because like i really get like he doesn't seem to have any interest in women whatsoever. And I don't mean that he's gay either. I just mean he doesn't seem to have... No, he, he, re- to be, he has like two songs about how women are I weird. think he's aromantic and asexual. Yeah. I, um, I was wondering... And I think Eliza might be as well because like in her Wish song, like she doesn't... She has like the someone's head resting on my knee. Like mm-hmm. as if like it's like companionate, but not necessarily romantic in any way. So I wonder if these, you know... I don't get romantic... I don't get a romantic feeling at all about it, but I but I feel like whether it's Lerner and Lowe or or the whoever wrote the play, uh, I mean, I guess I know Bernard <laughs> Shaw, but I mean, I don't know the difference between the Shaw play and the musical. Yeah, like it's almost like they don't know what to do at the end, other than give us like some kind of signifier of like romantic ending or something. Yeah, like it, there's a suggestion. But it just doesn't really make sense. Well, I think... So I think that it's not supposed to be read that way. And they've certainly set up Freddie as the appropriate love interest, I guess. Yeah. But she's not really that interested in him. And he has, like, three scenes in the movie and that's it. Yeah. And it's not like she ends up with him either. No. And so what does it mean when she comes back at the end? So she's going to live there and give him his slippers and, and tell the maid what whether he wants tea or coffee in the morning? Like, what is the implication? What is next for these two? So it's interesting. There's a whole scene where Eliza has left Henry, Henry Higgins' house and she ends up at Henry's mom's house. Um, where he comes to and finds her there. And then they have this whole argument about like, you know, she, I mean, and she very eloquently says what she needs is, which is like, I want you to treat me better. I mean, Mm -hmm. and he, he's like, his excuse is I treat everyone this way, which is a not true. (laughs) No, he treats you worse. And, and B, you shouldn't do that. That's not an excuse. That's not an excuse. I know people like that. Just because you're an asshole to everyone doesn't make you less of an asshole. Doesn't make people want to spend time with you any more than they they have to. Interestingly, you would think that you were going to be set up for like his mother, played by Gladys Cooper, or, or other society people being like appalled by her. People who know yeah. her as she is, right? Yeah. But when... So the ascot, is it the ascot race? Mm. One Like, what's so wonderful about that scene is that she starts off refined and then, like, she starts freaking out when, when the horses, you know, yeah. yelling at the horses and her screechy Cockney yeah. accent, like, comes out. So she kind of cracks, the illusion breaks. Yeah. And the illusion breaks the most for uh, Mother Doolittle, whatever her name is. No, yeah. not Doolittle. Henry Higgins' mother. Yeah. And for Freddie... Mrs. Higgins. I yeah, because then she just kind of drops it and starts like coming in and out, and the accent coming and going, and her talking about that. And they they see that they see what's they know what's going on, and but they're delighted with her. They're yeah. both delighted with her. The mother's wonderful. The mother thinks she's like a force of nature or something. Yeah, it's completely on her side. She's not appalled by her at all. She's yeah. like intrigued. Like it's almost like my my son has met his match. Well, I kind of get the idea that maybe I mean like. This is my theory, and 
based on entirely on my knowledge of uh, lots of British period pieces, but that these set of people may not be like the very upper echelon of like London society. Like we're not talking like they know the queen kind of thing. They're like, you know, I mean, like, because at the... At they're the, highest, they're high society, they're high but st- not the highest But not the society, highest yeah. society. I mean, they do go to, like, an embassy ball or something. I don't really know. Which, like, I mean, like, at a certain level, especially after the... Um, well, and this is in the 20s when, when a lot of those things are starting to be torn down anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you know, Downton Abbey, where they start, like, losing control of everything mm-hmm. because it's so expensive to keep a manor house and all yeah. of that kind of thing. So, like, I think that in some ways the sort of classism, class system is being partially deconstructed, so probably, but for a long time, ever since, like, the Industrial Revolution in England, there have been people who've been able to make money and move up in society, so that there have been the sort of, like, mixing in the middle class areas where there's people with professions and people who are, you know, lower, lower gentry and, and that sort of thing, so... I don't know. So maybe there's some more openness to 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 some social mixing at that level. Mm-hmm. At that point in 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 history, I don't know, but um that's just a theory. It's just a theory. <laughs> it's just a theory. Yeah. So gender politics. Yeah. Dated? A little bit dated. <laughs> So, I would think so. <laughs> there's a there was a line in uh, uh, in the Wikipedia article because what I, one of the things I like about the Wikipedia coverage of of movies is they'll tend to look at the critical reaction at the time and kind of summarize you know yeah. bits and pieces. And one thing they said is that nowadays, like it was pretty much unanimously praised and adored, yeah. like highest reviews from. New York Times, New Yorker, all the usual suspects like worldwide, right? It's classic. It won eight Academy Awards, Best Actor, Best Picture, Best Director. Um, but they're like, nowadays, there's more of a debate about the politics of it. Mm-hmm. And the phrase they used is that, that now there's more of a debate about whether the film critiques or affirms the misogyny and classic tropes. So that's that's a good thing because like I think like some of them that they're playing it up so hard, especially some of Professor Higgins stuff. Mm-hmm. Like he's playing so hard into the comedy that it almost feels like satire, you know, and yeah, it seems sure. like they're criticizing the classism and the the traditional roles of women in our society, and I hope that that's what they're going for. You know, the, the thing that's interesting to me is I was watching that last conversation that they have at his mother's house, and it reminds me of the sorts of conversations that they have about relationships in You're the Worst, where hmm. they're talking about, like, this is who I am as a person. I'm this terrible curmudgeon who treats people like shit, mm-hmm. you know? That's the price you have to pay if you want to be with that's, me. And, and you know, and, but the thing is, is, like, I don't feel like, I mean, like, in You're the Worst, like, Gretchen is as bad as Jimmy. They're as bad as each other. So, like, they're both coming in this equally. I don't think Liza, Eliza's bad. She's shown herself to be nothing but intelligent 
able to learn, able to improve herself. So what I does mean, she need to be with this guy kicked yeah, around all the time for? Yeah, I mean, like, just because he has money or he kind of likes her sometimes or... Um, he needs someone. Is she going to be a personal assistant or something? I just, I don't, I don't know. Where does how, this go? How would you live with, I mean, I think that's, that's part of the joke is they're like, this comes up again and again, where Henry Higgins gets all the credit for the work that Eliza is putting into this. So yes, he's providing her with this knowledge, but she's doing all the practice and application and you actually taking all the risk on when she's going into society. Um, Whereas he... He just thinks he pulled off a yeah, funny trick. Yeah, he's guaranteed. And so, like, everybody's congratulating him. Um, you my, did it. You did it. <laughs> my favorite scene is um, um, when he's singing the the reprise of, like, how... What is it about women and the things that women do or whatever? Mm-hmm. But he's singing it to his housekeeper who, like, literally runs his entire house. Right. Who, like, runs a staff of ten and, like anticipates his every need and like you know how why are women so foolish why do they always think about clothing you know he's saying to this woman who's holding his nightcap in her hand you know (laughs) um who literally has to (laughs) bathe clothe and feed this woman the the night she's she's just suddenly there as part of the household yeah so i mean like i think that Uh, you know, I think that that they tried to get there, but they just didn't give us. You know, maybe maybe there's something missing in Eliza's characterization, like she has a temper, or I mean, but like the thing is, is that everything that Eliza does is, in my mind, completely justifiable. He deserved to have his freaking th- slippers thrown at her after he took credit for everything that she did. At that ball, like as if he was the one that was wearing the dress and talking to the people and, you know, mixing with, you know. (laughs) But my God, that, that, that screechy, awful accent that she has. Yeah. Like you totally understand why it rubs him the wrong, why it's so appalling to him. Yeah. Snob. But it's, it's awful. Like I would be happy not to listen to Audrey Hepburn ever do that like (laughs) noise ever again. Or whatever it is. Yeah. But I mean, like, I don't think, and like, the thing is, that's gone now. She she learned to speak differently. So like, all that, I mean, like, her faults that she's bringing to the table are like, justifiable anger and a lack of money. Mm -hmm. And his faults that he's bringing is like, I'm a, I'm a pompous jackass. Um, who refuses to treat you like a person, even though controlling, controlling, all of that stuff. And like, I just don't like, I can understand like, oh, you accept people for the way that they are or, or you don't, those are the options. But like, to, to me, like to, for this to be satisfying, I mean, not, it's not just like, I'm going to take all your bad faults and he's going to accept my bad faults, but, but what are her bad faults? You know, like what is, she had a shitty accent and now she doesn't have that anymore. And now she doesn't have that anymore. So (laughs) I don't know. Her faults were like low self-esteem and, you know, stuff and poverty, you know, I mean, it's not, that's not not a, that's not a flaw. that's, (laughs) That's not a thing. But I mean, like maybe they have. She has a family now with Professor Higgins, because like, and Colonel Pickering has a general, a, a genuine, 
you know, affection for her as well, because he's as interested in getting her back as Henry Higgins is, because he he's going to miss her. Yeah. You know, he seemed in a way more fatherly yeah. to her in than Higgins. Yeah. yeah. Who's I don't know what, what his he, deal is. He wanted a secretary. He could just hire <laughs> he, he a secretary. He wanted somebody to hand him slippers. <laughs> He wanted someone to write a note to his housekeeper. Whether to leave him whether coffee or, or, tea, coffee in or tea in the morning. Yeah. And he's really upset that she didn't do that. <laughs> it's actually a, it's, why, it's a moment Also, why do they have chocolate, like, sitting out on tables everywhere? I don't know, but can we have chocolate <laughs> sitting out on tables? Or is that not a good idea? I, it's not a good idea. I think my grandmother did have little... The little bonbon. I think the cats no, that have cat hair I guess, all over them. You no, know, they were like Hershey's Kisses and such. Okay. And those Brock's freaking butterscotch. That's not the same thing as chocolate. But it's interesting to see Eliza change over the... Because when she first starts, it is those little comforts that are the things that she wants. Those chocolates, the you know nicer clothing, the warm place to sit and to, to, to be. Mm-hmm. And then you see... A bath and a fireplace and, yeah. And you see, like, as she grows up, I mean, not grows up, but but develops throughout the film, like, she wants other things. She wants, you know, she, she wants some agency. She wants some control over her life. She wants to make choices and to... Um, make something of herself. She wants a means yeah. and a livelihood and a, and a, a reason to be and something yeah. of her own. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And Henry Higgins doesn't really grow much other than he, he's grudgingly accepting of other people in his space. <laughs> I think he kind of realizes that she's a human being by the yeah. end. Yeah. And one that he actually is kind of fond of. So that's the, his growth. Well, I think like... I, I hope he treats her yeah. better, but I don't know that he will. You know, I guess it's like, you know, gradually over time, he got used to the change that happened in his house. Mm-hmm. But it happened so subtly that he didn't even notice it until all of a sudden, you know. Hey, by the end, yeah. it's not about phonetics anymore, no. which was his obsession. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I don't know. In a way, I think the. I think the film is definitely criticizing his views of class yeah. and and something about the role of women and men, although it seems kind of like a wants to have its cake and eat it too kind of yeah. thing, where it's somehow critiquing it, but also being a part of it because so much of the humor comes out of his insults and the, yeah. the shabby way he treats her and like sort of a, a, a nod and a wink to us about isn't she terror you know isn't she a riot and isn't she like appalling and stuff like that yeah. you know so i don't know it, it's something um, it's 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 what you got in the in the 50s and 60s for a, a somewhat uh, awakened sense of uh hey some of this class stuff is kind of arbitrary yeah. and uh why is it that people who in poverty with uh, uncouth accents are like lesser people or, yeah. you know, they're not. Well, and it's, it's interesting to go back and watch these. Cause I think that, you know, we're all a victim of the circumstances and the culture that we're raised in. So, I mean, essentially in the sixties, uh, you know, things were still seeped in, you know, misogyny and, and 
the patriarchy and I mean, not that they aren't now, but like what it takes is like people to start to notice it and point it out and like, you know, slowly, so slowly over time, it gets a little better, you know? (laughs) Um, But like, you know, I guess so like, I mean, like things like this, like as backwards as they sometimes seem now, like this played a role in like pointing out the sort of absurdity of these gender roles, Mm -hmm. you know, which led to, I mean, like, of course this came out in the early sixties because you saw the big, you know, sea change that happened in the later sixties and the early seventies, hopefully continuing on about women's roles and, and sort of deconstructing classism in the traditional sense, although it still exists in its, in a separate sense, but, you know, um, you know, so. I think our cat feather has come in to tell us uh, that we should wrap this up. That's right. Is that true? Yes. (laughs) Do you have any other thoughts about the movie? Um, I just want to say that there's another really good song that I forgot to mention, which is the show me song that, um, that Eliza sings to Freddie when she comes out of the house don't talk of birds don't okay. talk of june if you're i can in picture love, i can see the scene me. but i can't remember the music here we yeah. are together in the, it's really good okay so it's we'll it's a short it song um i don't know i like that song it's um i mean like i don't you like the love songs yeah <laughs> i do i do like that song but it's it's kind of like you know don't just stand outside my house you know, yeah. give me something to react to. Give me, you know, don't just, you know. Yeah. And I, it's got to be more than that. Yeah. Um, Do I, I don't know that she ever gets that. I don't think she ever gets the, like, sh- I think the best Henry Higgins can do is show up at, you know, at his mom's house. house. And, like, I think in that scene he actually does say that he he's come to care for her in a way or something like that, which is God, like, it's really like pulling teeth. Though. It's like a big admission for him. And I mm-hmm. think maybe that's what she needed to hear, but she still had to, you know, give him a little bit of what he'd been giving her, you know, yeah. in that, 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 that's another good song is the without you, mm-hmm. oh, you know? So anyway, good stuff. Yeah. So you should show another one of these musicals sometimes if you have any other favorites. As, any you know, but it's... don't feel that it has to be Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Just mm. saying. Maybe there are. You like maybe. your patriarchy with some Stockholm Syndrome? You just like, when you see some there women... There should be more musicals about Stockholm Syndrome. When women are... Abducted? Abducted and then snowed in over the winter, then you can convince them to love you. <laughs> This movie may have done a lot of damage in the world. <laughs> well, I just love that they they showed us to it, this to us in choir class when I was in middle school, which is a weird. It's just sounds the whole thing sounds creepy to me. Maybe I'm missing thing. the point here. Yeah. But. There is lots of dancing though. Okay. Seven, seven so dancers. Yes. Fourteen. Fourteen. Yeah, if you count the seven brides. Yeah. Lots of dancing. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it. You've used up your turn. You're, yes, done. You're, done. No, you're done. You're done. You're <laughs> done. <laughs> um, and it's, uh, it's my turn next time. So thank you for listening and uh, being a part of our conversation. And uh, we will be back with you with another episode in a couple of weeks. And it will be my choice again. So 
you can skip that one if you don't want uh, something long and uh, German. And no, I'm not, I'm probably not going to choose a German film. V- vendors. We've done Vim Vendors. I we know. did Paris, Texas. That's right. It was long we, and German. And you did a Werner Herzog, but I've That's never right. done a Werner Herzog. We Remember, should. we were going to do his and Herzog. That's right. We've done Herzog, but we haven't done his <laughs> his, his or whatever. Herzog. His and, okay. All right. You've been very patient with us, and it's time to sign off. So we'll see you next time. Thanks a lot for listening. Bye. Bye.